Guys, welcome to J. Scott Outdoors Podcast. Today's going to be a great two-part episode with Brady Miller. And Brady is the digital content manager for GoHunt.com. And he's an avid, avid backpack hunter. And he's going to go through his whole kit uh, from start to finish. And uh, we're going to be able to get to see all the details uh, of this kit. Uh, Also, an Excel spreadsheet of Brady's Uh, that you guys can download is also going to be available at gohunt.com and uh, you're you're going to be able to download it and be able to edit and put your own stuff in so you guys definitely check that out Uh, i want to remind you that gohunt insider is uh, the title sponsor of my podcast and if you've been a frequent listener of the j scott outdoors podcast you've probably heard me talk about gohunt.com and their insider product Well, now, if you've been interested but haven't signed up, they are offering an exclusive 30-day free trial to my listeners so you can see why I think it's the best product a Western hunter could have. Just go to GoHunt.com forward slash JScott and sign up. The first thing I would do within Insider I would check out is Filtering 2.0. Using that, a hunter can really see all opportunities available to them. You can filter by harvest success, uh, trophy potential, uh, buck to doe ratio, uh, bull to cow ratio, season dates, weapon, and a lot more. Filtering 2.0 is changing how Western hunters find and prepare for their hunts. Go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott and check it out. Now, you will be required to give a credit card. Uh, but your credit card will not be charged uh, until after the 30-day free trial, and uh, you can cancel at any time uh, before that. So go check it out. I know you're going to find it to be a great resource. Also, want to remind you that this month, uh, Go Hunt Insider, the month of August, they're giving away 10 Kuyu sleeping bags, and the Insider members, each one of the the 10 that that wins the Kuyu sleeping bag, they're going to be able to choose. Uh, which bag they want, whether the 0, the 15, or the 30. Uh, And uh, that's just a great prize uh, from a company that I really like, uh, Kuyu. And uh, great sleeping bags. I have uh, the Kuyu sleeping bag and uh, use it on all my hunts. So, uh, guys, I want to thank you for your support. I want to thank you for all your emails. You can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I want to encourage you to go check out my new website, Uh, It's still under construction, but you can see most of the stuff is there. Go to jscottoutdoors.com. You can link to the podcast from there. You can uh, can go check out my YouTube, my Instagram, my Facebook, uh, and uh, see a bunch of trophy photos. Uh, So go check it out. Also, guys, I encourage you, please go on uh, iTunes and... Uh, give a five-star rating and give us some positive comments. That helps our placement uh, within iTunes. And um, it's great to see the success uh, that the J. Scott Outdoors podcast has with with uh, the other podcasts out there and kind of sees where we stack up. So if you've already given me comments and a uh, good rating, I, I appreciate it. If you haven't, please do so. And uh, let's get right to this episode with Brady Miller. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have the digital content manager from GoHunt.com, Brady Miller. Brady, how you doing? Good. How about you, Jay? 
Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm anxious to talk to you today. I know you're getting all geared up for your high country mule deer, which you do every every year this time. And August seems to be your your you know you're at your peak, uh, getting ready for your season. Uh, what do you have in front of you here? Yeah, so I'm uh, leaving uh, actually this Sunday for a uh, Nevada high country archery hunt. It's just a you know fairly easy tag to draw. I usually get it every year, and it's getting a little more a little more popular, getting a lot more people up there. But it's uh, you know fun hunt. You can hunt within you know nine thousand to eleven thousand feet, and there's you know a lot a lot of deer, and it's just that type of country that. I don't know, I could kind of get made fun of the office for hunting a unit that, you know, I could maybe save my bonus points for, but it's just the type of terrain just set up for bow hunting and just something I just like, you know, just dive into and totally geek out on that whole backcountry stuff, super lightweight, having to struggle to find water. It's just, it's a, it's a fun, fun deal. That's awesome. I know you've had um, some great success in the past. One question I would ask you right off the bat uh, for those listening out there, Brady, what do you look for, uh, you know, because you're talking about a vast amount of country that you're that you have to look at there in Nevada. And you've also done high country hunts in Colorado and Montana and other states like for people out there listening, kind of run through what you look for. And then maybe as you're doing that, contrast that with, you know, like maybe things you've learned that you thought you should be looking for X, but really you found out you should be looking for Y as far as country and stuff to hunt. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of times what I like to do is uh, I'll basically take a giant mountain range and I'll, you know, throw it on Google Earth. Once I've, I've already drawn, this is saying I've already drawn the tag, I'll uh, throw it on Google Earth. And I like to do is I actually look for snow fields. Like snow, if I can take the, you can adjust the little slider for uh like the image history and if I can adjust it to like a early June, maybe May, depending on Google Earth that they have the imagery. Like if you see, so if you see a snowfield in early June, I can usually judge that okay, that it's gonna be green vegetation down below that where the mule deer are gonna like to sit in the upper part of the basin. And so that'll that snowfield will eventually melt and then by come July, August, when I'm more fine tuned in my scouting and actually hunting, the deer will still be hiding there. Like it's I've always like back in the day, here's the part like I kind of messed up on before. I was always like, oh, I need to find you know water. I need to find more water sources. Like I need to find little streams, little hidden spots. But like really, it all came down to snowfields. And every time I found snowfields, like way down below it, I'll even find little seeps in the mountainside. And, like that's where the deer were getting the water from the little seeps, or obviously they're getting them from vegetation. But that's where I was also able myself to get water because I think two years ago I packed a lot of water and I also melted snowfield. But last year we didn't have those high high field uh snowfields up at 10,000 feet in August. We had a really low snowpack year. So uh, just basically utilizing all, uh, Google Earth to find those little green areas. I know green areas are going to hold water. I can get water out of the green spots. Mule deer will also get it. Like, I don't, I don't get my water with it. It's deer water, obviously, but it's kind of how I break down the base and just finding snowfields. And then once you get in there, just really diving into those east-facing, west-facing aspects. It seems like where I find a lot of my, my mule deer in these basins in Nevada. And is is it on Google Earth? I haven't done that. Uh, can you actually go back years past and kind of search, you know, 2013, 2012, 2011, and match up those snowfields and see if if those overlays or if those snowfields are consistent in a certain area? And does that allow you to realize that that that's a consistent spot where snow 
holds up and, and, and it melts, you know, stays the longest and doesn't melt as fast? Is that something you can do? Yeah, that's exactly what I do. I, cause you can take the little, I think it's called like the, I don't know, the history timeline slider at the top of Google Earth. And you just basically crank it over to any certain date. You can go way back in years or you can click on it and enter in a custom date and if they have imagery, it'll pop up. And so then you can compare that year to this year. Another thing that's great too is they have all those, uh, um, like panoramia type photos on Google Earth. Like a lot of times I'll click on those and hope there's some like, uh, you know, granola hiker out there who's maybe taking a photo and upload to Google Earth. I can click on that. And if they show any bit of scenery, if they show that snowfield up there, I can be like, okay, figure out when this date was taken of this photo. And if that snowfield's there at that time, and then I can like, okay, there's snowfield in this area. There's going to be water for me. And then also if it's in a basin that looks like it holds mule there, I just love finding those snowfields. Like, that's like exactly what I did last year. Because last year, Lorenzo and I had that call, those Colorado archery tags. We never stepped foot in the unit before. And basically, that's how I was scouting, finding that area where I uh, lost that big giant deer, was just looking for snowfields, looking for that green vegetation, knowing that deer need groceries. Groceries are going to be there. The deer are going to be there. And it's high country. And so I put two and two together, kind of narrow down your area, not hunt areas that are super dry, might not hold deer. And maybe they hold deer, but not enough deer. I just, I just rather find really good spots with a lot of deer. Would you rather hunt in areas that have lots of deer or would you rather have uh, just, you know, a couple of bucks uh, to hunt? What What's your strategy on that? I mean, a, a lot of deer for me is usually five to five to maybe eight, ten bucks in a basin. Like any more than that, I've I've had lots of struggles getting in on deer. And uh, last year in Colorado, we had struggles of like having too many elk in the same area we were, and so it was hard to like try to sneak in and not bust all the bust all the elk out of there. But it's like I'd rather have more deer because like as a bow hunter, I a lot of times was like, okay, I'm going to waste four or five days trying to find my buck to bed in the right spot, and if I blow him out, you know, I still want a few more deer in there to still go after another part of the basin. But I think it all comes down to just like basins that hold deer. I know there's basins adjacent to that that also hold at least five, seven bucks. That means I have two spots to go to. Like I have one basin uh, this year that I found that had 17 bucks in it in one basin. And yeah, there's really a couple of really good deer in it, but it's like, um, how am I going to actually get in there and get a buck when they're all, they're hanging out in like two separate groups, but it's like trying to navigate and trying to get down there on 17 bucks. And I don't know how many does are like way down below in the mountain, but it's just like too many eyes. Yeah. Um, how often do you, find these bucks in the summer and then target a specific buck. I mean, are you truly trophy hunting for uh, a certain buck or are you at more at the stage where you're just trying to kill a good buck and you, you, you know, you're not as picky. Where are you in the stage of, of, of your trophy hunting? I, I, I think I'm kind of on the border, like in between both those two scenarios. Uh, like this summer, last summer, the year before that, I've basically right now have watched one buck throughout the entire summer. And that's, that's the one, like, I will wait right now three days if I have to, to put a stock on this one deer, just because I want to go after him. But if the op opportunity does present itself, or if I like say I blow him out of there one day and can't find him the next day, I see another very respectable deer. Like I'm all about shooting anything, you know, one, one seventy to one eighty. So those, those deer come in front of me, I'm going to, definitely make a stock on them and try to get them. So I'm not going to be that picky in a sense, but like I have a, I have a couple of pretty cool, cool deer this year that I'm really hoping to get a stock on. So I'm going to definitely trophy hunt for them and hold out. When you talk about 
uh, deer that you've been watching, and I hear you say that that you know you will wait three days, and what I hear you saying is you'll actually have eyes on the buck, but he might not be in the right spot. And you're going to be patient and just watch until that deer gets in the right spot. If, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, for the listener, what is that right spot? What is the right condition? What are you looking for? I'm, I'm looking for him. Uh, a lot of times what makes me so I can't stop, like last year I had multiple chances to stock a great buck in Nevada. Um, it was like one of my plan B areas, the main spot got blown up, but like he kept betting below all these other deer. So he had like little small three points, other small four points. I would always, for whatever reason, bet above him on the mountainside. And it was a setup where I had great rocks, great like overlook where I could, you know, get around him, get up on top, sneak down and make the shot. But his other bucks were sitting there and they were always sitting away from these big boulders. Like the place I hunt has like a lot of big boulders. So I can kind of hide in between. If there is a couple deer here and there, I can kind of put a rock in between me and them and kind of sneak down on them. But like, they, the, the bigger buck, the target one I have to go to, I always love him being above everything else, you know, bedded, looking downhill, that wind coming up, and just has to be consistent, like, him bedding there. Like, if he beds at 9, 10 o'clock, I'll still wait a lot of times. I'll try to get into the zone. Like, I'll start trying to move around, like, you know, right when he starts bedding, if I know he's going to stay there, because I've scouted him out, and he usually stays there. But I like to know he's going to be bedded for at least, you know, a good hour before I actually try to get way down in on him, in case he gets up, moves his bed, or you know, kind of gets, gets a little leery. Do most of these bucks, um, in the high country, are most of them bedded in the wide open, meaning no shade, they're just laying out there in the sun, or do you find they try and go find shade? Uh, that's, that's kind of a funny thing. I have a lot of deer I've, I've seen in Nevada that, for whatever reason, they bed in, in the sun. I don't, I don't quite understand it. I found, uh, this summer I found a group of four bucks that were bedded on a south-facing slope, and the closest tree was probably a hundred yards away. And this was at probably noon, one o'clock. It flopped himself down. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't overly hot out, but majority, more, majority of the deer I try to go after are in some sort of shade where there is kind of uh, either shade from a boulder or shade from a, a couple of trees where they like to bed around. Like I've seen a lot of like old, uh, you know, digs underneath the tree where these deer have been bedding for numerous, numerous years. And, and I'm just hoping, you know, one bed underneath the boulder because a boulder, a big boulder rock cliff type area is that's, that's ideal for me. It's so hard to get through the timber when they're bed in the timber. I put a couple stocks on them, you know, two years ago and blew a really big buck out of the timber. It's, it's tough when you get in that thick stuff. Yeah, I think too, um, my wife and I actually, um, have been hiking a lot. I'm trying to get ready for my beaver Utah elk hunt. And, um, we did a, almost nine miles today and, you know, it's amazing. You get up there above timberline and, uh, it's the, it's a lot cooler up there above Timberline for one, but number two, when we're walking in the trees, there's like flies and bugs and mosquitoes, but yep. we, we break out of the trees and get out there in the wide open. There's always a breeze and it seems like the bugs are less. I just wonder if, you know, those bugs love that above Timberline and just be out in the open because there's a breeze and there's no bugs. Oh, exactly. Especially with those, uh, like a mule deer summer coat, you know, how it's so thin and so fragile, like around their ears and around their eyelid area. I'm sure they just got to get tested by those bugs all summer. It's got to be annoying. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. So this, um, you're leaving this Sunday and you're going to be gone for how long, how long are you planning to be gone for? I think it's a total of, uh, nine days. So I'll, 
we're going to leave Sunday. We're going to uh, we have a lo- quite a long drive, and then we're going to hike mostly through the dark just to try to get in there. Because I really want to. We have two days of scouting Monday and Tuesday, but the season opens on uh, Wednesday the tenth. So we're going to try to get in there and try to get set up. It's you know it's going to take us probably four and a half five hours to hike in, and yeah, then set up. And I have the bucks already kind of picked out. They're usually always in the same spot, but that's why I want to get up there and scout them for two days and just kind of kind of babysit them and maybe even guard my spot if there's other people that are going to be coming in so just kind of get prepared start feeling it out let the you know mountainside calm down from us hiking up in there and and yeah just have fun for a couple days before the the work starts yeah for sure um i i want to take a quick break here and then we're going to go into your gear um you're a gear junkie so it's going to be a great learning episode for me and the listeners um, so let's take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors, and then we'll get right back to it. PhoneScope is a company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. It is simple to text photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. Get yours now by using the JScott 16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at Phonescope, that's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com or on Instagram at Phonescope. Real game calls featuring the elk reel. Real Game Calls makes innovative, realistic, and easy-to-master calls using their proprietary, revolutionary design. They are located and manufactured in Gypsum, Colorado. Their calls were designed and battle-tested on some of the hardest-hunted terrain on Earth. Check out ElkReel.com. Use the promo code JSCOTT and receive a 20% discount on all purchases. Go to www.ElkReel.com. Okay, Brady, uh, I want to talk about your gear. I know you've got extensive gear lists, and you always geek out on everything, which is awesome. Um, let's just go through all of the gear from the bow all the way down to clothing, you know, tent, uh, every single thing you're using on the trip. Yeah, uh, easy to do that. So I was, I guess, basically my section of gear, it's just, I was pretty fortunate back in the day. I used to... Uh, Worked for United States Geological Survey as a fisheries research biologist. So we were basically hiking around uh, northwest Montana throughout all the summer, you know, going to different lakes, going everywhere. So I kind of had a lot of chance to, like, test gear out, buy gear, like, sell gear, and I've, you know, kind of geeked out over the years. And I, I, I kind of go on the, like, ultralight concept, like, very minimalist, but I'm also, I've kind of moved away from that slightly. Like, I used to take a lot of things that, we're way too ultralight. Like I said, an ultralight backpack that didn't quite handle it like four or five years ago. And then I had some heavier things and now I'm kind of moving towards. So still ultralight, but still keeping safety, still keeping, okay, I need big, heavy optics. I love glassing, you know, I need a, I need certain things that I, I can't sacrifice weight for, but I try to sacrifice weight everywhere else I can. That's really not going to affect me like safety wise, like weather storms come in, but so it's um, it's pretty pretty extensive. I mean, uh, I think right now my total um, gear plus food for nine days is looking at forty five point eight pounds, and that's that's everything: sleeping, food, optics. Um, 
only thing I found including is my bow and uh, you know arrows and a few things like that. But so I'm still trying to I'm still trying to narrow it down the next couple of days here. I'm trying to rework my Excel sheet. I have a big Excel sheet that takes all the pack gear. So basically, it'll take uh, uh, my pack, my sleeping gear, break them out into like five or six sections, and then clothing pack, clothing worn, um, optics. So basically, I take every, every piece of my gear, I weigh it on a scale that it's not a certified scale, but I take a calibrated weight, and I set a calibrated weight on there to make sure every time I weigh something, it's recalibrated to zero, and everything's going to be like exact. Um, probably doesn't matter. I'm just kind of anal that way. But so weigh everything <laughs> out. I weigh everything out into the, the hundredth of an ounce, plot those on there, and then I have a little formula I've kind of grabbed throughout the internet and asking people how to make a good formula. So it converts it down to total ounces for that thing. So I'll have the optics and I'll have total optic weight. And then also that the formula then will convert um, total ounces to total pounds and ounces. And then also a decimal pound. So I can like really get in there and figure it out. Then I have some like pie charts I created. So I can take like, okay, here's all my gear. Here's where all my stuff weighs out. This is like where the heaviest section of my, my pack list is. So say the heaviest section is obviously going to be optics for me. So let's say like okay, I want to try to cut some of that weight down. Optics section, I could be like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take out my 10 by 42s this trip and just have my 15s. Or let's say I want to try to cut out maybe half a pound out of my shelf, my sleeping shelter. You know, I might take a really lighter weight sleeping bag and just use more of my down pants and my down jacket as my stuff. So I can like I can modify my my chart and then it'll adjust my graph and show me kind of where my heavy stuff or my light stuff play out. And also, which is the scary part. I added a uh, price to everything in my Excel gear, sh- gear chart. And uh, I wasn't actually <laughs> ever keeping track of how much I spend on my backpacking gear, but it's a pretty pretty scary number when it gets down to it. But luckily, this has all been uh, you know put together for the last, I don't know how many years, 10 plus years of actually backpacking once I moved to Montana and then uh, down to Nevada. But it's, well, uh, it's, and... and- you touched on it briefly in the fact that it, when you were doing your job in Montana, you would be in the backcountry roughly how many days? Uh, sometimes we were, we were in the day actually hiking around. We did uh, nine days on, five days off. So sometimes we were backpacking overnight for you know seven to nine days. Maybe we'd go out for five, six, and then come back out to our truck for one day to move a different spot and go out for three more. So we, and we throughout the throughout the year, I mean, it was safe to say you were what 150 nights, 100 nights out backpacking. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty pretty much from uh, about middle of May to uh, uh, like mid September was real backpacking stuff. And then we'd also stuff in the backcountry later on, but we had, we were able to stay at a cabin stuff like that. So our September and October weren't quite backpacking, but they were still in the backcountry and still had to hike in six miles one way. So we still had to be conscious of your weight and figure out, okay, what food we need to bring back in there. We're not going to get a, you know, a ton of food in the back country. I still get calories somehow. And so it's, it's definitely been fun geeking out on over the years. And like I said, it's kind of ultra light, but kind of still that, that line where it's still going to keep you safe and keep you functional and be able to hunt and not take away from, uh, you know, the fun aspect of being in the back country. For sure. And from what I understand, uh, this Excel spreadsheet uh, next week is going to be available on GoHunt.com. Is that correct? Yep. I'm going to uh, have a big article that breaks down everything I'm talking about here. I'm going to have a bunch of text and photos explaining, okay, here's my here's my pack setup. Here's my sleeping gear setup and the photos of all the gear. And uh, then this Excel sheet will also be included in the article where 
and you can go download it. You'll be able to see all my gear. Um, this is all the gear I bring in a typical August, um, like mid to late September type thing. And it's all usually uh, like subjective because I could, based on weather, like if all of a sudden, you know, say I'm going to Colorado and in the uh, middle of September and there's going to be a big snowstorm, it's going to be really cold, obviously modify this really fast and add other things to, you know, more down, more down mittens, um, stuff like that. But this is typically August, September. And so yeah, everyone will be able to download, check it out, check out my stuff. And you'll also be able to edit this document. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lock it. So you'll be able to edit it. So you could add all your own gear, all your own ounces and, you know, kind of figure out your backpacking setup. So it should be pretty cool. That's awesome. I can't wait for that. Um, and, and it's applicable for not only high country mule deer hunters, but I would assume anybody that's hunting, uh, elk, anybody that's hunting, you know, doll sheep, anybody that's going into the, the back country, um, that they can pretty much use this. They may have to make modifications here or there, but it's a great, uh, blueprint, uh, base form to use. Correct. Yeah, correct. Exactly. And especially, Especially for a guy who just might be starting out, I think this is a great tool to have because it's like, let's say you're just starting out, you know, you don't have a ton of cash. You might have burned it on gas to go to a certain state or scouting or on the tag. You want to get starting out getting gear. You're not going to obviously buy a lot of the top of the line stuff. Like a lot of my uh, cooking or whatever, I'll have the lightest weight stuff. So I have titanium, but a lot of like, you could think, okay, should you get titanium when if you buy titanium compared to aluminum? You might save three to five ounces, but to save three to five, five ounces here or there, it's going to cost you 25, 30, 40, 50 bucks extra just to like switch to lighter weight gear. So you could use this over the years to like, you know, gather your baseline together. Like I said earlier, those tie charts would be really helpful to like, okay, my, my, my shelter gear is really, really heavy. How can I cut these down? You can slowly, you know, narrow it down by looking at the pie charts and looking at your total ounces and, you know, over the years, make a really good backpacking setup. So you don't have to start, you don't have to go crazy and buy all this stuff right away. Like I've added to this obviously over a lot of years, like some of the same pieces of gear, like I've been using forever. Like I haven't, haven't changed any of it. It's been good and it's been really good to me. And That's awesome. Let's dive into it. Uh, just start uh, wherever you want and just start, let's go through this list. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I have it, the top part is going to be my, my pack and sleeping gear. So my pack section I've broken out is pretty simple. It's just uh, um, my Exo Mountain 5500 pack. Um, this pack weighs 84 ounces. And so I have that 84 written in there. And then I have a Kuyu pack rain cover. Um, I just uh, always like to have some sort of rain cover in my pack. So that's just, I keep trying to keep it simple for that section. That's my pack area. And then my sleeping gear, this is going to break down my uh, shelter, sleeping pad, um, all the way through stuff sacks and tents and tent stakes. So uh, my shelter, it's a one man. It's like a really ultra light, it's basically like a tarp, tarp tent hybrid. It's called a tarp tent pro trail. Um, and this is the weight, including guy lines. I have a, a lot of guy lines pulled out on the side to keep, you know, wind and everything. It's a uh, 28.45 ounces. So it's a really ultra light one man. You might be able to squeeze two man into it if you really wanted to, but since I have, that's like a bathtub floor on it and a little mesh on the sides, and it's just what I, what I really loved about it. It's just super, super lightweight, really, really small. I can kind of fit it. It's almost like a, uh, it's almost like taking a bivy sack out there. You can kind of fit it in these narrow little spots because, like, because out of there really is no flat spots on any of these high peaks, and I'm constantly trying to find a really good flat spot. Like a big two-man tent, you're going to kind of struggle to put in the high country, so I always love a, a single man. Even, like, a, even last year we went to Colorado, um, 
we did find a little little meadow area, but it's just like those one-man tents always seem to fit better. Just a little suggestion I had then. Um, for sleeping pad, it's a Thermarest NeoAir X-Lite. It's just a lightweight inflatable. It comes out at like right at 12, 12.59 ounces. Um, then my, my tent actually, I'm jumping the stakes now, but my tent, I use a trekking pole to prop my tent up and a trekking pole on the front and a trekking pole on the back. So I was hiking with trekking poles and it's sort of double duty. I don't have to carry extra poles. That's why my tent can actually be really lightweight to use as a uh, trekking poles. Um, my, my tent stakes, they're also uh, custom made by a company called uh, Rada Latura. They're six inch stakes. And what they are is a kind of a high, they're a, basically it's like a carbon fiber arrow with aluminum uh, point at the end, kind of like a, I guess a field point and then aluminum back end. So it's super ultra light. It's actually a little thicker than the normal. Like a lot of people might get like titanium um, tent stakes. They're really skinny. They're called like uh, shepherd's hook stakes. But the problem with those, and they, they fit in really well with rocky terrain, but they pull out really easy. So I like uh, these tent stakes that are carbon fiber and they're about the size of an arrow. So actually grip the ground a little more surface area. So like a lot of times I get wind, it's not going to blow up my tent because my tent stakes are going to rip out of the ground because they're just really skinny. Um, my sleeping bag, I always, from August to really late September, even October, I use a 30 degree bag. It's made by a uh, feathered friends, the down bag. And, uh, the reason I use a 30 degree bag, is I always carry down jacket and depending on the weather, I'm, I'll probably have down pants in my pack just because I, I get cold and I'm sitting there glassing all day and like late, late September, it's just nice to have. So I use a 30 degree bag. I figure if I'm always cold, I'll add other layers to it. Um, and then I use a really lightweight uh, Sea to Summit. It's an ultra sill compression sack for that sleeping bag. So my sleeping bag will compress down to uh, pretty much the size of a, a Nalgene. It's like a little little bigger than a Nalgene, so I can fit it in the small part of my pack. And then I also use a uh, really lightweight ground sheet. And uh, I guess I didn't cover weights on those. But, yeah, my, my sleeping bag just at 30 ounces, really lightweight. Um, and here's kind of one like – question. One yeah, question I have for you, Brady, on the – Using the trekking poles on your tent, I assume that once you gain your elevation and you get where you want to be at base camp, you set up your tent and your trekking poles. I assume then as you go on your day hikes and out your glassing points, I assume then that you don't take your trekking poles. You basically use your trekking poles to get where you want to go, but then you don't use them. And that's always been my dilemma of seeing these lightweight setups, but I tend to use my trekking poles uh, throughout the day. So you must be camping fairly close to where your glassing point is. Yeah, that's correct. A lot of times I, uh, I love hiking up with trekking poles. And then like you've obviously experienced hiking down the mountain with heavy weight, like a, you know, a bunch of out quarters or a big mule deer. It's like, it's so much nicer on the knees being able to work downhill. So that's why I carry the trekking poles in. But then like, yeah, during the day when I'm hunting, if it is super, like, there's a lot of boulder fields and stuff like that, sometimes I will take my trekking pole. And then the nice part about um, the backside of my tent, since it's a, uh, what does it stand, maybe, I don't know, three feet, three and a half feet on the front end of the tent, it slopes down to my feet. So my actually, the, the trekking pole by my feet is only maybe, I think it's like 23, 24 inches tall. So that back one, I easily can substitute and take that off and hike around with that. And if I need to while I was out hiking for the day and worry about my tent blowing because that's now loose, I'll just cut a little, you know, cut a little section of branch or find a dead stick somewhere in snacks. There's all sorts of dead timber everywhere. Even even in the high country, I can easily find a piece of stick or something like that to shove in there for the time being. Because, like, it's usually okay. nice to have one trekking pole when I'm 
when you're going through the boulder fields and navigating it, or even like hiking steep terrain and going on a stock before you actually, you know, get down and take your shoes off is using it on the downhill side to help support you. So you're more careful to knock rocks over. So that's kind of what I do with the trekking poles. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, then like, then I have a clothing section and this is a clothing that is packed in my bags. This is not the stuff I'm actually wearing during a day hunt or wearing hiking in. So this is, uh, going to break down from insulation layers to all my base layers to, uh, my rain gear. Um, so base layers, I use a, a Kuyu Ultramarino 145 zip off and that's, uh, about right 6.42 ounces. Um, for my hat and insulating layer. Uh, always in the morning, it's kind of cold, so I like to have some sort of hat on my head. So I use a Kuyu, one of their new Peloton 240 beanies. And I've, I I've just got that. I just got that in the mail today, like 10 minutes before I called you. I got that. That thing is amazing. It's the cat's meow, isn't it? That, that, oh, that whole, that, that whole uh, the thinner material on the ear, like the ear parts, you actually can hear, and just it fits so so awesome on your head. I don't. It's it's a money piece. It's like that, and even if it got colder, to layer underneath it with that merino layer or their other new Peloton, the thinner ones, like, yeah, you, you can go all the way from, from August to a late November or early November third season hunt in Colorado with that setup. It's, it's an awesome beanie. Yeah, you and know, that, um, it, it's, it's like perfect. It's like what I've been looking for, and it's crazy. Um, a lot of times here in Colorado, I've been getting up early in the morning, go streamer fishing, we float, you know, like at first light, and I'm going to be wearing that beanie for the next couple weeks, uh, just float fishing, you know, at, at first light. It's just perfect. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a great piece. Um, yeah, so then we'll keep on the hats for a little bit here. So a hat, I also carry a Kuyu Booney hat. I mean, it's goofy looking and everything, but when you're sitting there, high country in Nevada or even Colorado, you know, I don't like my ears getting burnt or my nose getting burnt. So you're sitting there in the sun all the time. You can't always sit in the shade. So it's always great. Um I have a Kuyu climbing belt. I just always, yeah, keep, keep, keep a belt on. Um, I've also really fell in love with the, uh, the Kuyu Peloton arm warmers. I don't know if you've ever, if you've seen those yet from Kuyu, but those are like they're the, in, bo- they're they're in the, the bomb. They're in the bomb.com. They're in the box uh, out there. And w- I think it's awesome because it can keep, the, you can actually wear a short sleeve shirt. And, and if you want to keep the sun off your, arms but i got it to put probably over to you know so my bowstring wouldn't get in the way that that was one of the reasons why i ordered those exactly yeah that's this is kind of like one of my things like i always try to find a, a gear item that serves two purposes and this solves it because i've always in the past carried a like a it was a black like football sleeve football arm sleeve to protect uh, my string from my bow but it wasn't long enough for the arm sleeve thing so I, lately i've been using the arm sleeves when i hike in the dark because, like, you know, a lot of times it's too hot when you're hiking to wear a long sleeve. Sometimes you might get a little too cold wearing a short sleeve. And so I've actually been wearing the arm sleeves with a T-shirt. And then when I get too hot, I strip them down and pull them back up again. It's, it's awesome. I'm actually thinking about uh, hunting in that setup, too, wearing a, wearing a T-shirt this year and just wearing the arm sleeve so my, so my arms are staying camouflaged because I, I hate putting a stock on with, with skin. I know a lot of people do it, but I just don't like I thought it would be full camouflage. So that's a that's a cool piece. Um, and for gloves, I use the Kuyu uh, Tiburon as like a, a shell glove when it's kind of cold in the morning glassing. And inside of that, so if it's really cold, I'll use their new uh, Peloton 200 glove to kind of keep things simple. I don't really ever need anything more than that in Nevada and Colorado. I'll throw in a uh, 
like a down mitten. Um, and this is why right now I'm kind of still on the fence. I might ditch uh, my Ultramarine 145 and just keep the T-shirt and then use a, uh, a 145 long sleeve. So I'm still on the fence. And what I'm going to do because those arm sleeves are are money. But um, for insulating more insulating layers, I will take the TU uh, Peloton 200 zip key. It's a hoodie. So back in the day, I used to have more of like a, a soft shell jacket. Then I used to have some merino layers, and I had some in between layers. And now with that that new Peloton synthetic layer. I'm able to use that as my outer layer, so it kind of blocks the wind underneath that of merino. And then I'll double. And then I'll, if it's really cold, I have a super down jacket. And then if it's windy, also I'll throw rain gear on. So I'm trying to like narrow down my base layers as much as I can. So I just have the merino base layer, said the insulating peloton, and then a down jacket if it's really windy. And then I can also throw the rain jacket on for uh, more wind protection. Just kind of kind of narrow it down, so I don't have to carry a heavy soft shell in there anymore. And that's why I kind of fell in love with the pelotons series uh last year and it's a it's a great line and say so yeah, like i said this peloton 200 super down hooded jacket um the ultra merino one 125 crew tee that's what i would use um if i don't that's use your the, that's your t-shirt that you're wearing as you're hiking yep yep yeah and then uh for rain gear uh the ultra nx rain jacket and ultra nx um, pants and i was a little on the fence if i should do that because i already i already own the chugach and I was like, oh, these things are going to get destroyed. They're really thin. Like, I actually wore them hiking in Colorado last year because it was it was raining out. And I was like, well, I could wear my Tiburon pants and just deal with it because it wasn't raining hard. But I actually just wore the Ultra NX a lot just as my um, daily hiking pant and it zipped them down a little bit. So it breathed really well. And they actually held up to brush, busting brush and going up and down and sitting on rocks and glassing. And I... I mean, obviously, if I wanted to put a little more more uh, abuse on them, they probably would tear. But they're actually really durable. I don't know what it is how they how they flex or the four way, how things like don't penetrate them and 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 uh, wreck the material. But so that's a very ultralight setup. I guess I could talk about uh, the weight of that. So like like up above, when I was talking about the sleeping setup, my total sleeping setup is three pounds one ounces, and this clothing pack total that was everything I. Um, so on my pack, that's four pounds, three ounces. And uh, now here's like clothing worn in. So this stuff I wear well, Actually, in. let's take a quick break here, Brady. Yeah, no problem. I have known the owners of the Outdoorsmans in Phoenix for over 20 years. They are the authority on optics and hunting gear. Outdoorsmans is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods, mounting accessories, and pack systems for all hunters. Their customer service is the best in the business. Go to Outdoorsmans.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any products. Utah Hydrographics is in the water transfer printing service and they can dip almost anything into a wide range of camel patterns, designs, and colors. Whether it's guns, bows, tools, rifle stocks, vehicle parts, steering wheels, cups, or tripods, Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turn them into something that looks fantastic. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the JScott16 promo code. Visit them at utahhydrographics.com or on Instagram at utahhydrographics. Okay, your clothes worn in. Yep, clothes worn in. So uh, we're going to go to the top, like, wicking layer. This is going to be that Merino 125T, and that's super light at 
5.67 ounces uh, for, for pants. I wear Tiburon pants. Uh, I'll wear them in, in Nevada. I'll wear them in Colorado because if I get cold, I'll just throw a base layer underneath that. I don't really want to wear I mean, the tack pants are great and a couple of thicker pants, but it's just so light. Um, those are, are those Tiburon. Those Tiburon pants are the best early season pant. Archery elk hunting pant, you know, high country mule deer hunting pant, you know, spring turkey hunting pant. That that Tiburon pant is, it's my favorite by far. Oh yeah, those those dot holes in there feels it feels like you're almost uh, it's like a fan blowing through you, and that wind hits you and it hits those dots, and they all go, you know, the wind goes around your leg. It's it's a sick piece. Yeah, really good. Um, so in this uh, clothing worn section, I also included my footwear. Um, I'm sure a lot of people know I'm a huge promoter of uh, shoes for backcountry hunting, for bow hunting especially. So I wear uh, Solomon Speedcross three shoes. They're the shoes with like the the big um, lug type things on the bottom. They're super lightweight. Um, I'm able to you know fly up and down the mountains with them, and they're also really quiet. If I do need to stock in, I might just feel like they're they're kind of like a glove on my feet. My feet are just feel better without wearing a leather boot on them. Okay, um, let's um, let's let's. Uh put this in perspective how old are you uh 30 okay give your give yourself another 10 years and see if your feet agree with you <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah that's why uh when i lived in montana i would do a, a test thing i would wear le- I would wear leather boots all summer working and then I, anytime i went out scouting i'd wear my solomons or hunting over my solomons and it feels like you're like training your feet you know all that two pounds yeah. or whatever boot weighs on your feet all summer long and then you go to I don't know what are there fifteen ounce shoes and you just like <laughs> you fly. But yeah, I do I do agree. Yeah, maybe maybe a few years down the road I'll be changing this this setup. Do but. you with heavy weight coming out? Do you suffer? Do your arches and your feet? Do you suffer or do your ankles suffer at all wearing those? I mean, I I totally agree with you for on on a stocking aspect, and I almost would say you know wear the little bit wear a synthetic boot maybe that's that's lighter but gives you more support on the hike up but then switch mm-hmm. to those boots and i almost think it'd even be worth carrying them but have you experienced you know your arches of your feet getting you know really really stressed with heavy weight um, because they virtually don't have very much support for your foot no they definitely don't have they're very minimalist uh the only the, the biggest downfall like you said wearing heavy weight coming down off the mountain if you find little little small one inch, two inch little like rocks and you actually step on them in the middle of your arch, you'll definitely, you'll definitely feel a sharp pain. Like you kind of have to be careful where you're putting your feet or, you know, if you do hit something with the front of your toe, you're definitely going to stub and you're going to feel it. it doesn't have that leather um, protective or that rubber rand around the boot like a leather one does to give you that support. So that's really downfall. And you can, you, you can sprain your ankle a lot easier wearing the shoes. I mean, I, I wear them all the time, so I don't. I play basketball, I don't know, three, four times a week, so my ankles are pretty strong. But there are definitely downfalls, and you can get wet easier. Um, but, yeah, it's just something I prefer right but, now. At least. But it's also a lot lighter weight. Yeah. You're, yeah, like you're, cutting, you're cutting like two pounds per foot just by yeah, doing that. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, okay, keep going. Yeah, so that was, that was the Solomon's. Um, then for a sock, I just uh, – I have a Kuyu Ultramarino crew, and right now I'm I'm probably taking two of those in. Everything else I've listed right now is just an item of one. Um, so I'll take two Merino, Merino Crew socks. Um, 
And then for a gator, right now I'm running the uh, Outdoor Research Endurance Gator. There's a small trail running gator. I haven't had a chance to try out the Puyo ones yet, but I'll probably pick them up here later when they're uh, after the season. Um, and then for uh, boxers, I'm still a fan of the Reno, so I'm running uh, uh, Red Desert Boxers by First Flight. And so right now that's a total of the worn clothes on my body, and that comes out to 3 pounds 10 ounces. So you could also figure in, okay, you're a guy looking to save weight on your body because that's also, you know, energy you're going to expend. And you could figure, okay, let's loose, let's lessen up some stuff you carry on your body by maybe wearing different, different base layers, different shoes, different whatever. So I, I just do weight in there just to, just to know what I'm wearing. Um, mm-hmm. Now here's the, here's the biggest one, optics. So this is where you definitely can go a million different ways on optics. Like I personally, I'll just go through it real quick and then explain it. Uh, I have a Zeiss Dioscope 85-millimeter spine scope with a 20 by 75 piece, 75 power eyepiece. And this is a giant. I Back in the day, I had a super ultra-lightweight Vortex I ran. It was great. Um, it was lighter weight. I just switched later on now. I ran a Swarovski for a little while. That was 65-millimeter. And then, you know, this 85 is just amazing. It's really great for digiscoping and just low light. And I love taking pictures and video and deer. So it's it's worth it to me to carry a little extra weight in this category because I'd rather find deer, not be able to find them because of, you know, I have optics that didn't gather light or, or lighter weight. So this is, you know, 72.29 ounces. It's a, it's a beast. Um, then binoculars, I have a 10 by 42 Zeiss Victories, and I put those in the Cuyubino case. These are the ones I will be wearing on my stock just to be able to pick them up and find a deer, find an antler through the trees. So uh, those are running at 34.23 ounces, and that is with the case, the spinos end case. And then here's a Zeiss Conquest 15 by 56 spinos. I use these off a tripod. And so I have three, piece, three pairs of optics here, and this one weighs 48 ounces for the 15s. And so this summer while I'm scouting, I actually throw out the 10 by 42s and don't carry those because I'm just trying to be a little lighter. But I'm hoping maybe eventually to cut this part down and maybe carry 12 power binos and just use those off a tripod and then keep those on my chest as well and make a thought because it, it does seem kind of silly to carry three pairs of binos in. I don't know. what Do you, do you, do you carry always, always three? Or are you going to do uh, – what are you going to do for it's your al- elk? It's always – well, for the elk, I'll probably just carry the 10 by 42 EL range and, and the spotting scope. I don't feel like the 15s – you know, you can spot an elk with 10s yeah. just fine. I think for coos deer or mule deer, I think, you know, it's pretty hard. It's a pretty hard decision because when you go on your stock, you obviously would love to have your tins around your neck. Um, But, you know, when you're looking, you know, way across two miles across a basin, it's sure nice to have the 15. So I'm kind of with you. I I carry a big spotting scope. I use the big Swarovski 95 um, and it's a monster. It's just like the Zeiss 8, I mean, 85. They're both monsters. Um, but the quality, you know, you can look across a basin and, you know, three miles away and decide whether you're going to go after the buck or not just by mm-hmm. having a great spotting scope where I feel like sometimes people sacrifice with a smaller, you know, less quality, you know, a smaller um, uh, powered spotting scope. And they still don't know when they look over there at two and a half or three miles whether they need to go after the buck or not. So to me... I think it's worth taking the big spotting scope. Uh, the binos is always a dilemma uh, for elk, for sure. It's just ten powers, um, you know. And I, 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 I have the twelves also. I see what you're saying, but 
something about just having the 10 powers around my neck. Uh, if I was going, you know, as lightweight as I could, I'd probably just throw the 10s up on the tripod and take the big spotting scope and call it good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Another thing you were saying about the big spotting scope too, I think a lot of people like to go lighter on it, but then you get, like you said, two miles out and kind of discern, okay, is this a good buck to go stock? I feel the bigger spotting scope, even though when you zoom way in on 75 power, you're going to get slightly blurry, but I feel a bigger spotting scope, 85 millimeter above, you can cut down those heat waves that always pester you when you're trying to say, okay, is this a mainframe four? Is it a three by four? What has it got up on top? Before, okay, let's, before deciding, oh yeah, we need a little hike a mile and a half closer to actually figure out this buck's worth it or not, where this way you could maybe cut out and say, okay, yeah, he's 150-inch four-point. Let's let's go find something else, like pick through those heat waves. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, being a digiscoping junkie like myself, it's just uh, just doesn't seem right to take anything less than the big the big spotting scope because you get better images. You know, you've got a bigger objective and, and um, you know, you've got more light gathering capability. Your photos turn out better. So, yeah, for sure. So what you're saying is you, you don't really scrimp on the optics. It's your heaviest but but you feel that it's so important that you have the 15s, the 10s, and the spotting scope uh, yep. up there with you. Yeah, I feel it, it definitely aids in being able to you, – you got to find an animal before you can kill an animal. And a lot of times if, if pressure rolls in like I had last year, a lot of these bucks that used to be up and visible every single day were now bedding longer in the morning. They weren't getting up right away. Or if they were getting up, they were staying in these thick willows and – and like little trees that you just couldn't pick them out and they weren't coming out in the open anymore. So that's why I feel having my 15 on my spine scope was a big advantage. Cause I was, I could glass around every now and then. And there was guys in, you know, the half mile, couple mile radius of me. I, I found their tents just through glassing and I was actually able to see them sitting there glassing and they're glassing off their knees. And what I'm assuming is 10 by 42 binos. And I was sitting there, you know, rocking my 15s on a, on a tripod, picking out every little bush, if I could find anything there, I would throw my, you know, my big 85 on and pick out all the dark shade, all the bushes again, all the rocks. And like when that pressure comes and those bucks start hiding, I feel like you do need the bigger, more optics. You can't, you just can't skip on optics. Yeah. One thing I didn't hear you say there is tripod. Which tripod are you using? Yeah, I, I use a uh, a Slick 62 Pro carbon fiber. Um, and that I just have a old Vanguard, Vanguard two-way pan head on there. I've actually just placed an order uh, for outdoorsman setup, so I'm going to uh, hopefully be rocking that later this later this year. But this is a great ultralight uh, backpack instead of my tripod and tripod head only weighs 41 ounces. Um, and, and do you uh, feel like with with that tripod, you are get, you know if you've got really really high winds, you're going to have some vibration, but you're giving up a little bit of stability and sturdiness to have that real lightweight setup. Uh, and, and you probably feel like with your 15s and your 10s up there um, and your spotting scope, you, you're willing to carry a little bit lighter tripod and sacrifice there rather than go with one of the bigger ones, correct? Yep, correct. That's exactly my mentality on it. Like even on my digiscoping set, like, setups, I can notice that there's a little bit of wind. You can definitely tell it's going to be a little shaky, but I mean, I, I feel like I'm, since it's so, you know, remote where I always hunt and I really big off this, I'm gonna, this is one of those spots I'm going to sacrifice and go ultra light and just try to hold them steadier or just try to, like, you know, use a little finger on that edge of my spine and scope to keep it steady. But yeah, it would be totally great to have a little heavier. Or if you're – this is where great, it's great having two people up there because this week, uh, you know, I'm actually taking a, a buddy from Minnesota 
he's coming out to hunt with me and we're just going to rock one, one tripod sort of the, you know, switch up gear a little bit. So I probably could go with a heavier tripod in this sense. He could maybe carry the tripod because I'm carrying all the optics or big optics. And that, that would work out well for, for people who are doing that to trade gear with your, uh, your hunting partner. So that's, yeah, that's, the, tri- sure. that's the tripod. And then I use a, uh, um, Olympus tough TG three, um, dip scoping camera with a times up adapter. And, uh, I think I didn't touch on that. He's an outdoorsman's, uh, bino adapter as well for, uh, my 15s and my 10s um so that whole my optic setup here's a, here's a scary weight about it 13 pounds nine ounces and that's including the bino adapter that's including uh the tripod the optics I also didn't mention i have my uh loophole um thousand yard rangefinder in there so that's including my rangefinder as well 13 pounds nine ounces okay one question i have for you on your stock um, since you're not using a range-finding binocular, you're, you, you mentioned you're using a loophole uh, range-finder. Where do you keep it? Do you keep it in a pouch? Do you keep it in your pocket? Do you, how, do you, how do you operate your range-finder? I've done it in multiple ways. I did the pouching for a while on the side of my vinyl harness, but I just haven't um, found the, the best one. It was always a little bulky, and it kind of flapped open. I used to have one of those, uh, those magnetic Badlands ones back in the day that I used I, I attached it actually to my Kuyu one and tried to make that work, but just it kept falling open when I was like hitting brush while I was belly crawling. So right now I will keep it actually in my pocket until I get close. I keep it in my pocket until I'm taking off my shoes. And while I keep it in my pocket for a reason, so I can easily grab it. I'm ranging as I'm stalking to see how close I'm getting to the deer. Cause I always try to wait roughly, you know, 150, 200 yards before I take my shoes off. So I'm kind of close. And then once I'm actually take my shoes off, I'll take my bind or my rangefinder out of my pocket and I'll just, I'll just strap it around my head. I'll do that with, with a lanyard. And so it actually comes around next to my, right next to my binos and it's always sitting actually right. It tucks, it's a pretty tight lanyard. I have it a little shorter. So it sits right underneath uh, my right, um, my right armpit. So it's just barely picking up and doesn't get in the way. It's not going to like bounce around and hit my string at full draw because I'm right hand archer. So that's why it's on my right side. And that's a setup I really really like to do over the years. Just right there, nice and tight. Yeah, I can definitely jump into jump into some food here, and then get on some some miscellaneous gear. So the food, the food is something right now. I'm still toying around with food. I, I think it's never. I don't know if I'm ever going to get it perfected. I always seem to carry way less food than I should. Like to a point where I come out and I'm very like I don't have much weight to be to lose to begin with. So I'm six foot five and you know 185 pounds, but uh, right now, I'm trying to up it this year, so this might seem normal for people, but right now, I am uh, basically carrying a little less than uh, two pounds of food a day, so I have 28 ounces right now, and I'm still trying to modify this. My friend from Minnesota, he's, uh, he's big into working out and nutrition and stuff. He's been kind of helping me redo my uh, my food setup here, so I, I calculated out total pounds of food at 20 ounces a day comes out to 15 pounds, 12 ounces of food is what I probably will need for nine total days. And I'm actually hoping I might cut this back short and do one of those. I hope we tag out and hope we kill because it could get, you know, I just don't want to carry nine days. I'd rather shoot a deer, start eating some of his back straps back there. So I'm hoping to do that. But um, yeah, is, is there a thought to a uh, couple days in sending him back to the truck with the lot, you know, empty pack and loading up on food. Is that, is that even feasible? <laughs> Yeah, that definitely, that definitely is. That's what, 
yeah, I kind of talked to him about that whole thing, what we should do. If we should hike in a bunch of stuff and then maybe stash it halfway and then go the rest of the way lighter. That way, if we do kill, we don't need that extra food. And then on the way back out, we'll just grab the extra food and bring it back to the truck. I mean, we could have them hike out, but it's it's quite a long ways. And I don't know. I'm still, like I said, still still quite on still on the fence on this cat, on food section. But um, so yeah, I can go through basically what uh my rough day breakfast snack snack slash lunch and then my dinner setup is. So um, right now is roughly a thousand nine hundred calories a day. I'm shooting for, and I'm shooting for a lot of foods that have a lot of protein and a lot of fat content. Um, like a lot of, a lot of my bars or my other snacks are really high in calories per ounce. A lot of people might say like the superfood, a hundred calories per ounce or more. That way you get more bang for your bucks and more bang for your weight, I guess. I'm carrying it back there. So a lot of mine actually like are 213 calories per ounces, 190 calories per ounce. just super dense, like high caloric foods. Like, um, so yeah, here's my, here's my breakfast. Basically it's, a uh, you know, oatmeal, a cup of oatmeal. I'm, at least for my breakfast, I put all this into, my friend told me to take all this and put it into a blender. We're going to kind of blend it up. So we're going to blend up oatmeal, just quick oats. We're going to put a, you know, a dash of cinnamon in there, a bunch of peanut butter powder, hemp seeds, and then protein powder. And we're going to do like either, and now it's like a vanilla or like a cookies and cream or cookie dough type protein powder. So we get lots of, lots of protein, lots of good carbs in there, lots of, you know, good fats. And we're going to mix it up into a dry blender and then put those into, uh, I'm either going to do Ziploc bags or freeze dry bags. I have a backing. Um, um, Guys, thanks for listening to episode number 173, part one with Brady Miller. Make sure to check out episode 174, part two with Brady Miller. Uh, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for all your support. Make sure to check out jscottoutdoors.com. Thanks.